Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. So welcome back to another episode of Sex, God, and Chaos. The episode we've all been waiting for, for an entire episode, <laughs> the episode on sex. Mm, you know, I, I I can only imagine the number of um, guys looking for porn uh, that... Stumbled our, into this. Uh, this. Our podcast is going to pop up. Yeah. <laughs> little Freudian yeah, slip there. It, yeah, it's like, it, yeah, it's like tri- triple X church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this episode is, <clears throat> is actually, you know, I'm hoping it's at the most clicked because the information that we're going to share is going to be so empowering, so orienting, uh, and probably people who are looking for this type of thought process have not been able to find it in other places. So we're going to do a little bit of of history, but um, not exactly like episode one. We're going to talk in more general terms about what's gotten us here as a society, as a culture. We referenced episode one uh, that this culture is broken sexually. Mm. And uh, it reminded me, as you were talking uh, last episode, about the the fish example where the fish swims by and says to the other two, man, the water's great today. And <laughs> one fish looks at the other and says, what the hell's water? You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you start talking about uh, brokenness and sexual brokenness. We, we all understand, I think, at a base level that we live in a hyper-sexualized society. And even that information has been leaked out, I think, just to let people be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you would take it further and say, no, 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 not just hypersexualized. We've got a lot of sexual brokenness going on. And unfortunately, our participation in that brokenness doesn't really emerge and start causing problems above an individual level until we enter into a marriage. We enter into a <laughs> long-term commitment with someone or what's supposed to be a long-term commitment. And then all hell breaks loose. So I would love to hear from your perspective as a, as a person who's engaged with this for a very long time. Uh, what do you believe has gotten us to this point? Well, well, certainly sexual brokenness, you know, it's not anything new. Um, you know, the Bible's pretty clear about, you know, sexual brokenness back in the day. And there's certainly history um, in other cultures and all of that. Um, but but where we are today, and just we'll talk about the U.S., um, you know, it was... Um, in the in the 60s is when Dr. Alfred Kinsey published his Kinsey report um, on the uh, sexual male, and then he did the another one on the sexual female, and um, you know he'd done research, and um, well, you know later it was discovered his research much of it was done on pedophiles uh, that were in prison and and also uh, German war criminals. Um, that had done experiments on Jewish babies in the uh, the Jewish prison camps. And so the Kinsey Report became kind of the foundation even for sex education in the in in the US. Um, and public school systems, all of this sex education came from this report from Dr. Alfred Kinsey. And uh, Kinsey was kind of a freak himself. Uh, if you go read about his life and how he lived and <clears throat> even how he died, uh, it, it's kind of frightening. Um, and now the Kinsey Institute is still alive and well, and it gets lots of government grants and funding, and uh, so it's, it's still being perpetuated. 
Um, Dr. Judith Reisman, or Reisman, um, uh, she was, uh, she just died last year. And uh, she was the one that began to expose the fraud around all this. And then um, uh, she also began to um, uh, go after Playboy because Hugh Hefner came along about that same time. And Hefner said that he actually, there's a quote where he said he was going to be the megaphone for Kinsey. And Playboy was the beginning of that. And so there's when the kind of the mainstream pornography began to hit um, newsstands and, and homes. Um, and then that has grown, obviously. Uh, and now today with the high-speed internet, um, it is... It is so prolific and prevalent uh, because of, we call it the AAA engine. You know, it's accessible, it's affordable because most of it's free, and it's anonymous. Um, and it is really like crack cocaine. And the thing that is so um, uh, disturbing about it is is with the, um, the high-speed internet porn, it's the novelty and the variety. Um, and what it does to the brain um, that's, that's on that's using porn in that way because it's an endless click and it's the next one and the next one and the next one. And it's like, you know, the pleasure center of the brain um, has governors on it in other areas of pleasure, right? Uh, with food, I mean, food tastes good and, you know, there's people that we have food disorders. Um, but, but there's a governor on, like, how many Krispy Kreme donuts you can eat. Right. Is there? Yeah, I, 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 I haven't found it, but I know it's there because I could eat a hundred. <laughs> Man, um, but if you eat, you know, five hundred Krispy Kreme donuts, you're probably going to be puking your guts out at some point. Yes, there's a governor. Well, on the sex side of pleasure, um, and this this all is with the nucleus accumbens, the the pleasure center of the brain. There, there's it's never satiated, even after orgasm you can still go pursue the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, the, and, it, and it's not about orgasm. It's more about what's going on in the brain. And it's the novelty and the variety. I ask guys all the time, like, okay, what's out there that you have not seen in porn world? Mm. What, are you, what are you looking for? Yeah. It, well, it's really got nothing to do with that. It has to do with the pleasure center. Um, in psychobabble, it's known as the Coolidge effect, and they did studies with rats, and they took a daddy rat and put him in a cage, and they take the fertile female rat and put her in the cage, and daddy rat goes to town, right, And until uh, he's just about done and exhausted, and then he goes over in the corner of the cage. Well, they, put a, they take her out, and they put a new one in, novelty and variety. And evidently, the brain structure in rats is, with that part of the brain, it's similar to the human brain. Um, <laughs> There's a lesson there. Maybe similar in a lot of other ways. <laughs> right, right. Um, um, but, but they put the new one in, and boy, he perks up, and he goes back at it until he's exhausted again. And then they keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing a new one, a new one, novelty and variety. And he will literally, they almost die from exhaustion. And that's what's going on with this high-speed internet porn. And it is the most uh, horrible social experiment that's ever been unleashed on mankind because we haven't even seen the end results of this tsunami 
it's 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 having long term effects in yeah. a lot of different ways. And incredibly not part of the modern conversation. Oh. And no. even as a corrector here to say when you start talking about high speed porn, most people would say, Well, I've got to go to you know, I'd like to have an orgasm.com or I'd like to masturbate.com. It's not that. You no. know, it's, uh, it's invaded almost every corner of our social media experiments. Uh, most of the men that I sit with and talk to, it isn't that they're going to a particular website to find. It's finding them. Oh, yeah. And the, the more that it finds them and they respond, the more it finds them and they respond. So I think a little bit of what we're trying to expose here that's happened culturally is that the people who are uh, the most invested in making the most money and the least concerned about an individual's health in order to get there ha know these things about the brain and have people inside of their organizations that are very familiar with how these things work inside the human brain. We don't know, uh, so we feel like we're just a piece of garbage that falls for these things or had these things pre-programmed into us. I mean, how many times have you heard, well, you know, my family has a history of addiction and all of those things. Well, in a lot of ways, that's kind of a cop-out because what's happening is uh, modern society is manipulating the pre-programmed responses inside of the human brain in order to leverage them, in order to become wealthy and advance themselves, survival of the fittest. Uh, so part of what I think we're trying to do via this podcast, and especially this one about sex, is to convince people that they are part of a larger scheme. Mm -hmm. and they're a cog in a wheel. And unfortunately, we start to take on ourselves, uh, as you said in episode one, I'm the only piece of garbage, male or female, that's ever really had to deal with this or is dealing with this. The truth is uh, what's being fed to us is affecting us at a very, very deep level. And it's time for us to become aware of that um, even that we are now not the initiators of this practice. Uh, I'm 43 years old and pornography meant driving across town, as we say in the South, <laughs> driving across town and hoping that you didn't run into anyone in the gas station where you're buying the magazine that is porn. Uh, and then was part of, uh, it wasn't even high speed, it was dial-up, you know. So porn had to reveal oh, yeah. one line at a time. Talk about anticipation, <laughs> yeah. sexual anticipation. <laughs> totally. Yeah, but it's a completely different ball game today, but the conversation hasn't caught up with that. Not at all. And the thing of it is, um, even when you say pornography, people will think, you know, Playboy or Penthouse. I mean, that's still kind of where people will go. But, the, but where we're at today, uh, man, the darkness and the evil that permeates that world and what's out there is just totally disturbing and and it's really the dehumanization of a to of a whole society uh, because it's body parts and fetish and you can find your deal whatever that is all these different genres and i read something the other day the number one genre um for um porn uh, uh, i can't remember uh, just one of the websites um is is like incest porn uh stepson stepmother all that and and you know even with Kinsey and where we're at with the sex thing all goes back to the destruction of the nuclear family and where where we are in society today we, we've seen it happen I can remember you know James Dobson and Phyllis Schlafly and some of the you know people in the conservative side Christian side of the fence talking about this even in the in the 80s right that this is the culture wars we're in it yeah and now we're we're reaping the, we're, we've sown the wind we're reaping the whirlwind yeah and unfortunately a lot of those folks <clears throat> that were sounding the alarm they were right about those things their solutions 
uh, took us even further into the problem yeah. uh, because a lot of it had to do with denial or strictly habit change. And a lot of people have tried that. Maybe even people listening to these episodes, I've, I've tried the habit stuff. Like I put Jesus as my screensaver. It didn't work, you know? <laughs> uh, so now we're trying to figure out how do we help people who have maybe even taken a little bit of a lap on that journey. But I think there's a lot of um, freedom in just addressing openly this is part of living as a human today, that we are inundated with sexual imagery and the novelty and the things that we can pursue. We have access. When you start talking about the addiction cycle, well, what's at the top? I mean, you fantasies at yeah. the top. Preoccupation. So, preoccupation, yeah. Then we get into rituals. So if you think about the average experience engaging in sexual addiction, those two things, most people are on a loop with that, um, which the word cycle would imply. Uh, but I think the top of that cycle, leveraging the fantasy tendency and the desire to be avoidant in the way that we're approaching life, these things, I think if we do our job over these episodes as we continue, we're normalizing that part of the process. Not that we're trying to build a society full of victims. Man, right. that's, that's, no. that's the last thing that we need. Mm-mm. But we do need to understand that there are things affecting us that we didn't initiate, uh, but we are experiencing uh, just the incredibly negative results of swimming in that sort of water for a very long time. Yeah, and and it's like, you know, one of the things that I just, it's, it's amazing to me how little parents will talk to their children about all this. And it's it's it is it is critical and it is essential in order to prevent, you know, happening in their lives. Kind of what happened in my life, yours, to some degree, of just being exposed to this stuff because they're going to be exposed to it. The average age of exposure now to hardcore pornography is around nine years old, and that's been steadily dropping uh, because of accessibility. And you can do everything in your power to prevent your children uh, from finding it, you know, filters on your computer, not having a computer, no phones, whatever, but they're going to find it just because it's everywhere. And then when you look at just the broader culture of just, you know, from the music to the movies to the TV shows, I mean, everything out there. Uh, I had a wife, uh, she she nailed it pretty well. She said, um, you know, it's like you're trying to stop using cocaine. And you, everywhere you turn, there's a pile of cocaine, <laughs> which which well is said. pretty insightful because you know <laughs> brain scans have been done with like the brain on cocaine and the brain on porn, and the way the brain fires up, you you cannot tell the difference between the scans. Yeah, and yeah. and so yeah, she was spot on. Yeah, but that's kind of the way we live. That's the world we're living in today, and if. If we're not dealing with this and if we're not imparting to our children uh, kind of the dangers of it and certainly the healthy side, which is sorely missing, um, then they're going to inevitably wind up, you know, in in the mire with this on some level. And so, you know, part of even this podcast and the conversations is just, man, we've got to be aware We've got to begin to change um, certainly the culture that we can change, and that one is our immediate family. And if we can start there, then we might have a shot at kind of getting this thing pointed in a different direction. I always say, you know, if somebody had told me at eight, nine years old, like, you know, Roan, looking at that porn is just like here's here's what's could happen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I might have gone, oh, that's probably a terrible idea. But 
but it was just I always say in man world, pornography is just kind of like air and water, mm-hmm. right? Every guy's doing it; it's no big deal, all that. <clears throat> and one of the things that is getting guys' attention—it's uh, kind of a new medical term, clinical term that we use—is called PIED, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And that occurs because just watching hours and hours of porn, you know, high-speed internet came around 2000 with the advent of, of, of the internet and then broadband, uh, Wi-Fi and all that. And so now, uh, let's say a guy was, you know, 10 years old when that came along and uh, we're in the 2020s and so now he's, you know, 25, 30 years old and he's been looking at porn uh, since he was, you know, 10 years old. Well, the real thing is kind of like mm, chopped liver, right? Because he's seen everything and anything, and then he's got his beautiful new bride, and that just ain't going to cut it, right? Yeah, she's on a, a real human journey yeah, of yeah, sexuality. Exactly. That That's isn't like, uh, overblown, sensationalized, all of those things, uh, driven by novelty and... I love the stuff that's come out in recent years just exposing the porn industry and what it's like being behind mm. the camera and yeah, the brave people that are speaking out about that. But what you're pointing out, I mean, you start talking about erectile dysfunction and not being able to perform in the bedroom. And this, these are real things. And usually it gets down to uh, a man becoming extremely depressed. And how am I going to solve emotions that I don't like? I'm going to fantasize and I'm going yeah. to go, I'm going to return to my own vomit, as the Bible would say. Uh, but one thing you're pointing out, and I think this is something that, that has been so freeing for me in my journey, is that my past has a dramatic, dramatic effect on my present. The reason I say that so emphatically is because I grew up believing, and you'll recognize this mm-hmm. phrase, ah, that's water under the bridge. Oh, yeah. I'm over it, or I'm past that. And in fact, in some marriages, the, those sort of phrases are thrown around to try to fast forward the healing. You know, like, Always. wait, well, I'm, I'm past that. We're past that, right? That's yeah, over. That you're was a just, new creation. Yeah. If, if, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Like, well, prove it. <laughs> yeah. I like, can prove it. Uh, but I'd like to just dig in for just a moment uh, because a lot of people, as they're pursuing health and, you know, someone may be listening to this quietly in the car at the gym, um, the idea is, well, I, I shouldn't have these problems or the things that happened to me in my past, here these guys go again. They're going to talk about my childhood. Well, there's a reason behind that. Your past shows up in your present, right? You, you would say that. It, it, it's always there. And, you know, I mean, just the stories in the Bible, you see it. That's why those stories are there. You see the generational dysfunction, Right. And um, that dysfunction is passed on, you know, third, fourth, fifth, tenth, twentieth. It just keeps perpetuating. And um, I always reference even the fifth commandment that talks about, you know, honor your mother and father. Um, the, the Hebrew word uh, there for honor is kabed, and that word is a word picture, which is the Hebrew language. It's so much richer and deeper but the picture is a scale. And even God is saying right out of the gate with the fifth commandment, it's, the scale simply means weigh it out. You've got to see the good. You've got to see the bad. Mom and dad are broken just like you are. And it has a double meaning. Um, it, it carries weight. It has impact on every relationship that you will be in the rest of your life. And if you don't become aware of what you got and what you did not get, you are destined to repeat it. 
And Scripture affirms that over and over again. Jesus affirms that. And that's just the reality. The past is present. And so I've got to go back and I've got to look at, like, how did I get here, right? I mean, this stuff didn't just fall out of the sky and hit me in the head. Uh, Nobody walks into a room full of fifth-grade boys and says, okay, boys, how many of you want to grow up and be sex addicts and cheat on your wife? Raise your hand, (laughs) right? I mean, I I don't think they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they might today. Who knows what? Who knows on, what's going on? Who today? knows what goes on in classrooms <laughs> today? Yeah, teaching them how to be transgendered. Um, sorry, not offending anybody, but that's just who knows. Again, sexual chaos reigns in our whole culture, and so this idea of like I've got to go back and I've got to uncover um, and understand and be aware of how did I get here in order to change it. Because if I'm just unaware, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Mm. That's what's so dangerous about this is that it can be driving real-time current behavior from your past and you're completely unaware of it. And a lot of times that awareness comes from sources that do it in a way that hurts us. Uh, Let's talk about just from a man's perspective, if we can, for a moment. You've got the mother and you've got the wife. I've had this happen in my own life. Uh, mother says, you're just like your father. Mm-hmm. Wife has spent some time on a holiday around the family. She's like, it was absolutely scary to watch your father over Thanksgiving. You're just like your father. Oh, right? boy. And that can be a difficult message for a man to hear, uh, especially if it's delivered in that way. Mm-hmm. Because that's usually not a caring, we're so proud you're just like your father. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's a mode of accountability. Uh, but to be able to sit in a trusted, safe relationship, which is what a counseling relationship should be, and to hear those messages of there is most likely, if not 100%, <laughs> that you had something that you needed that you didn't get or something that you got that you didn't need mm-hmm. that happened in your past that's probably showing up and has something to do, and this is a really wide disconnect for people, that has something to do with the fact that you pulled that up on your phone in the bathroom this afternoon. Those things are connected. Totally. And if we can talk, if we can, uh, you know, drain the gas out of that engine by addressing and becoming aware of what went on in your past. So uh, this phrase, I think we want to orient people to, you have a sexual history. Everyone has a sexual it's history. It's there. And it is showing up in your sexual present, right? Am I saying that correctly? Oh, yeah, Totally. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we always talk about is how, you know, shame begins to wrap around our sexuality. And that comes in a lot of different ways. It comes early on, sometimes just in kind of natural development. You know, uh, it's not uncommon for, you know, children to uh, do some type of sexual um, exploration, sexual curiosity. It's kind of like the, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. And sometimes it may involve, it, it may involve some form of touching or that type of thing. And uh, I've sat with so many guys that like had that. And it may have been a same sex, it may have been a cousin or somebody about the same age, a buddy. And um, they've never told anybody that. And they have this in the back of their mind, they'd like, I may be gay. Mm-hmm. And they've never told anybody. Yeah, That's not uncommon. But all of that is just kind of normal, natural development, and sexual curiosity is a part of that natural development. And so something that was done in basically innocence that, that really was not even sexual, it's just more trying to figure things out, there's shame that has begun to wrap around our sexuality. And then 
when you start, you know, adding the other elements in there, you know, we discover porn. Um, masturbation can certainly just produce shame, especially uh, if you're taught that you're going to go to hell if you, you know, touch your penis or something. Um, there, there's just a lot of ways that shame begins to wrap around it. And then you marry somebody that kind of is in the same boat. It may look different. Um, oftentimes, if women grow up in a Christian home, you know, they, they get this message. It may not be directly said, but it's like sex is bad, sex is dirty. Save it for the person you love and marry. Can confirm. Yeah. yeah. Now, like, yeah. like, what What a message, right? <laughs> this bad, dirty thing. Yes. You know, save it for the person you love the most. Exactly. But but they we come up with these messages, um, and sometimes it's explicit, but so often it's an implicit message we come up with this story based on circumstances and things we're just figuring out by listening, um, and it's, sometimes it's in the atmosphere. And so this shame piece is a huge component um, in unhealthy sexuality in a number, lots of different ways. And so beginning to face and deal with the shame, um, but, but the problem is you got to talk about it. And nobody wants to talk that about it. That is a it. big problem. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Mm. But nobody wants to talk about it. We sit with couples who've been married 20 years, 30 years. Now, evidently, they've had sex because they've got some kids. Unless <laughs> We have evidence. Uh, unless there was some other immaculate conceptions. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you might think that because the, there's no communication, right? They never talk about sex. We call it, it's mostly a little adolescent dance. We're still operating as kind of teenagers, and we throw the hint out there, and then the hint's not taken, and then there's rejection. There's anxiety, always anxiety around sex. and and But but we're now we're two grown adults. We're married. Sex is a natural, normal uh, part of marriage, but we're not talking about it because of the shame and that we've never dealt with. And then it just plays out in this kind of adolescent, teenage dance around sex in a long-term marriage. And it's pretty sad. It sounds <clears throat> miserable. Oh, yeah. It, it, is, it is miserable. It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now you have this other thing in there of like, well, all right, this, is, this was designed to be a particular thing, and it's actually the exact opposite. Which leads me into this. Uh, what you're describing as I'm listening to you is there's a lot of neglect around sex mm. and conversation. And unfortunately, when there's a void or a vacuum, then we, we want the human brain wants to fill that in. And we want relief in that so badly that we'll believe lies. We say often that uh, children especially, great observers, Ter mm. terrible interpreters mm -hmm. but we lock in these messages very early on so i'd like to talk briefly about maybe some some of the top lies that we as people believe about sex not in a judgmental thing but as you reference all the time when you bring things out to the light well there's a lot of healing there uh because these lies they may have settled some things down in us but they frustrate us you know so at a pretty deep level so as you in your work in your clinical work you and eva just kind of the top lies that you guys see at a street level oh, yeah. that people believe about sex. I would love to hear those. Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, most men, I don't want to generalize, but the vast majority of men uh, kind of have this idea that sex is my greatest need. And I always say, you know, sex is a desire. It is not a need. Because nowhere in recorded history ever 
his a man died from lack of orgasm. So, can we fact check that? Yeah, yeah. Somebody Google that. <laughs> well, no, don't don't, don't Google, Google that. that. <laughs> <laughs> but but the the reality of it is, sex is a desire, right? And it's a healthy desire with you know within the confines of a marriage. Um, it's like you know, sex in a marriage, like it's designed. It's kind of like a fireplace in a home. The, the sexual energy should be directed towards my wife. I always say today, I'm not heterosexual, I'm not homosexual, I'm not bisexual, I'm not, oh, God, there's 50 there's sexuals. Yeah. yeah, but today I am eva-sexual. All of my sexual energy is directed into the appropriate place in my life, in my marriage. And like a fireplace in a home, you know, fire in a fireplace is a great thing, Right. Uh, but if you grab a stick out of that fireplace, start running around the house, setting the curtains on fire and the bedspread, and, well, it's going to be out of control pretty quick. Mm. So it's like this idea of directing that energy into the right place. Um, and and that is possible, but so often, um, I tell men all the time, you know, we've let our thoughts run wild, like, I don't know, wild donkeys running around the woods or something. We, we've done nothing to work on our thought life and to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. And, you know, Paul tells us, you know, don't don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. It, it's a thought process. But when we've just been letting it go wild with unchecked, then certainly we're going to be hypersexual and we're going to think that, man, sex is my greatest need. And it's not because our greatest need is love. Right, it's like God tells us that we're told that that's our greatest need, and but if I believe that sex equals love, and that's a very common myth uh, that men believe, uh, women too. I'm not going to leave them out of this. Mm -hmm. um, but but it, if sex is is love, then my greatest need therefore is sex because God tells us that our greatest need is love, and so I've got to begin to untangle that false belief that permeates the culture and permeates my thinking. Um, and then, um, you know, one of the other ones that's just so common is like, um, it, it's the wife's duty to take care of her husband sexually. <sighs> and I'm, I'm not going to pick on you, Pastor. Well, you're not anymore. Thank you. I mean, I don't want to... <laughs> thank you. For, oh, thank you. You can pick on me. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I, that's right. That's what I meant. Uh, but it's like, man, that sermon has gotten preached and taught. And you talk about sitting with a woman who's been doing duty sex, uh, kind of demand sex, obligatory sex to take care of her husband... Um, you sit with a woman that's been doing that for a number of years, you're going to be sitting with one angry, pissed-off woman mm. because it's not the way it's designed. Uh, there's so much there, uh, even in that passage that gets so taken out of context and preached by men pastors, by the way, uh, weird. Um, uh, in fact, there's a great book that uh, came out last year called The Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregoire um, that uh, she she hasn't made a lot of friends in, in some of the Christian counseling world because she calls out a lot of these books um, and, and people that have taught that kind of thing over the years. So 
But it's a fantastic book. I get the feeling reading her stuff, she wasn't out to make friends. No, I don't think she was, which I kind of love. You love that. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I see that. Uh, Yeah, we're going to get her. We're going to somehow we're going to get her on this podcast. Um, uh, But but that, you know, that's a myth that somehow sex is my greatest need. If I don't have it, I'm going to die or, you know. Can, can I say blue balls? It, is hey, it's thing? your podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. yeah but, yeah. but I mean, that's just common in the vernacular. Mm-hmm. And I have guys, like, they, they will try to convince me that because they're not having sex, then they're suffering from, you know, blue balls. And every guy knows what that means. Mm-hmm. And I just go, man, that that's kind of a um, somatoform. That's a, that's a kind of made-up kind of pain that you have in your head. Um, like you, you, you might want to kind of um, think about that, read about it, because that's a pretty severe form of mental illness when we're making up kind of these phantom pains. Mm. You have a problem that's <laughs> not in your testicles. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they believe it, and then they'll always tell me, well, my doctor said, and I'm like, yeah, maybe we ought to kind of, maybe we could talk to that doctor and kind of see where he is with this stuff. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Always consider the source. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, those are two big ones that just fly around, and especially inside of uh, Christian circles that we operate within. Uh, you know, like a man's got a high sex drive. Oh, and, you know. well, that's another myth. Yeah. Um, that somehow, you know, men's sex drives are always higher than women. Oftentimes, what I see is that um, the, their sex drive is higher because they're they're feeding it uh, with a lot of porn and a lot of fantasy and preoccupation, and so you're just walking around with a charged up brain. Mm. But your actual natural libido, sex drive, it may be lower than your wife's, but you don't know because you've been doing this since you were ten or twelve years old. Yeah. So you have no idea, no idea where your natural sex drive is. And what I've seen, not that uncommon, when a guy gets sober from all that, uh, his sex drive is um, maybe the same as his wife, or even less than. Mm-hmm. And that's okay because women have that too. Um, you know, Eva does a great job in talking with women uh, around just you know, kind of the sex negative messages that women get often. Uh, It's just when you think about even the names that women are called that are promiscuous in high school, whatever, Mm -hmm. and those names that they get called are not, they're not good. And then you flip that, and the guy that's doing that stuff, man, he gets the good names, right? He's the man, he's the player, he's all that stuff. And so that's just a very sex-negative message. And then if in Christian homes, it can double down with that. And and then even she gets in church and her, her, her Christian wife friends are talking about, my husband just wants sex all the time. And, oh, it's just terrible. Well, she's hearing this stuff. And Eva does a great job of speaking into that with women and helping them understand that, like, sex is a good thing for them, too. Uh, it's good for their brains. It's good for their body. Certainly, it it is a it, it is a way to connect. However, we always say you don't want sex to be the main connection in a marriage. However, that's not uncommon either because sex is sex is used in a lot of unhealthy ways in marriage, even outside of some kind of betrayal or, or infidelity. It it can be very unhealthy, and it can be used for to, maybe it's the only form of connection. And sex should always just be a byproduct of the emotional connection. 
the intimacy in which has nothing to do with sex. We could probably do a whole podcast episode on. Hey, we should start a podcast. Yeah, on, hey, on yeah. sex and uh, what? What do you say? Yeah, yeah intimacy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but but it's like intimacy has nothing to do with sex. You know, originally that word was a spiritual term attributed to God, and somewhere around the 1400s, 1500s, it got hijacked and became a euphemism for sex. And it even made its way into Bible translations, which is kind of how it gets convoluted. Um, But sex should just be the natural outflow of a deep connection, true intimacy uh, between a husband and a wife, rather than how we most of the time it's inverted uh, because we're having sex way before we develop a a deep relationship. And then that just kind of becomes the pattern in the marriage. And a lot of times... Couples have never even experienced true intimacy, um, and, but they're having sex. One of the things that we do in our process in working with a couple, and we'll talk about this in other episodes, uh, is sexual reintegration therapy, um, where we are really uh, working with the couple to integrate sex back into the marriage after they've developed the emotional connection, true intimacy, and then we're, we're integrating that back in, especially when there's been betrayal. It does such a number on the, just, um, the partner's um, sexuality and views around sex. There's a whole, whole lot that happens there, too. Um, and so it, just, again, another, another common myth that somehow a man's sex drive is always higher than a woman's. Yeah, yeah, all the I think all these messages that we've taken in and believe there there are so many, oh, and uh, which is good news for a podcast. Great, uh, great news for a podcast. Terrible news for leaving them out. But just to drop a little bit of my story in here, as we're running yeah. a little short on time here, but I do want to say this: uh, for me, the way that this looked, as you said, there are some unhealthy ways that sex is used, even within a marriage. And I've been very open with this. Uh, my wife has as well. There are needs that I brought into our marriage. We were married young, 21. And uh, there were needs that I brought into that marriage that were heavily, heavily concealed uh, because I couldn't be honest about them because it would have made me uh, acknowledge what I was feeling, which I didn't know how to do at, at 21. My religion had taught me to ignore most of that because feelings were bad. Uh, whatever those crazy things are that other people feel. Yeah. And we were Southern Baptists, so we certainly didn't have any feelings. And uh, Jesus didn't either. Yeah, Jesus didn't By either. The way. Yeah. Well, we, we had one, uh, one feeling predominantly in the communities I grew up in, and that was anger and mostly around race. Yeah. Uh, but any of the other emotions we didn't really talk about. No. Uh, consequently, I go into my marriage with this really heavy need for validation. Uh, I explain it to people that I was the kid on the trampoline saying, Mom, look at me, almost every day. You know, I, I wasn't okay just jumping on the trampoline. I needed somebody to see it. Uh, so I take that need into my adult life, and now I've got a wife, and she's been learning these lessons her whole life, watching the pastor's wife, who always looks put together and is integrated into this crazy wacko system that is the Southern Baptist Church at that time in the 80s. Uh, we, we, you know, most of them were just a bunch of Reaganites, uh, but we, te- we threw a little Jesus in there because oh, yeah. we got to have a service and we can't have it about Reagan, you know. Uh, <laughs> but some of them did. Uh, but at any rate, yep. I get into this marriage, I'm like, man, I, I, I have this extreme need for validation. Life's not going well. I have these new pressures of trying to figure out how to pay bills and I can't be on my parents' insurance anymore and our apartment sucks, you know? (laughs) And like, what am I supposed to do about all this stuff? How do I regulate what's going on right now? 
I, and I don't even know what's going on, but man, if I get laid, it surely will fix this. Mm -hmm. And it did kind of fix it, you know? And early on in our marriage, we just kind of adopted this pattern uh, where she gets put in this place as validator. But we weren't ever talking about validation. We were talking about getting laid. Well, actually, I was talking about getting laid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, there were other things she wanted to discuss. Uh, yeah. but I was, somehow really? the, the conversation always drove back to that, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we're pursuing this really difficult sexual journey as a young married couple that was that went on for a very long time because every re resource we look, look to is only parroting these lies and these beliefs and you know so i think it's possible to describe both for men and women there may be some latent things back there that you're using sex to solve mm -hmm. and when you start adding that it's like the way that you guys have described it to me over the years it's and this is just as creepy as it sounds it's like adding a third person in the room oh yeah you know but nobody's going to talk about that person being there that's really bizarre but that's exactly what i was doing I woke up one day when my wife uh, looked at me and said, why is this so important to you? Mm. Oh, wow. That was a very honest question. Yeah. Because I said, I don't know. Yeah, and then I got <laughs> online and booked an appointment. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but there's oh, just yeah. these lies that we believe just have such a huge effect on us. So I think, you know, we don't want to be people that just talk about the problem. We want to talk about solutions uh, on this podcast. So how do you begin to climb out? How do you begin to address the myths? Like, what's the process here? Well, I think, as you said, you know, kind of the first step is, like, where do you kind of bump up against this distorted thinking? And, and you know, if you're just average person out there, you know, living life, going to church, um, do you bump up against it there? Uh, no, because uh, it's not talked about at all. If it is, it's just, you know, it's like, it's bad, don't do it, whatever. Um, but, but very little information on, like, what is just... Christian healthy sexuality. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, we, we work on both sides, right? Um, uh, our longtime counselor, uh, uh, Dr. Doug Rosenau, you know, because he, he, he knew that we were involved even before we, you know, certainly got into counseling and working with couples and meeting with individuals. And uh, he, he would say uh, that, you know, you're, you're going to be sexual missionaries to the church, uh, because it's so needed because the church is so unhealthy in a different way than the culture is, uh, but there's no discussion of it. So it's like, how do you just bump up against this distorted thinking? And then, you know, sometimes things happen, like your wife asks you a question. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Why is this so important Why to you? Why is this so important to you? Huh, never thought about that, right? Because it is. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> the way it is. Um, yeah, read your Bible. Um, but yeah, don't, don't do that with your wives, uh, listeners. Yeah. But it's like, you know, that at some point, you know, uh, most of the time, um, it's when the pain, uh, gets, gets greater and depending on what happens and how that happens, uh, it's to me, it's simply, it's usually at the point of pain when I will actually go and, and seek, seek some help, um, you know, I, I kind of, I think one of our hopes with this podcast is that that maybe we can kind of help people um, um, avoid the, 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 the horrible pain. Maybe they're just going to have some pain. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and begin to kind of figure this thing out because you really can and you can begin to change it. Uh, I just always think of like, you, you know, in, in marriage, the way that sex gets used in unhealthy ways 
uh, we call it the F and F model. Um, fight and fornicate. Fight and fornicate. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, how we. I use, did good. I yeah, you it. did great. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Speaking of warnings, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like to maybe uh, pause the conversation here because it's it's piqued my interest, and maybe we can pick this back up ne- uh, next episode. What does God have to do with any of this? Mm. That's a big question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, nothing. I mean, you know, we're just, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, well, it's you know, it's interesting, you know, just throughout Scripture, um, boy, sexuality kind of permeates Scripture uh, in, in different ways. There's just, there's themes around it. There's certainly instances, uh, specific, uh, explicit instances of, you know, sexual brokenness and, and then, you know, wisdom given around that. Uh, but we often miss it. I mean, even, you know, okay, we'll talk about the birth of Jesus, right? He's born of a virgin. Uh, the Holy Spirit enters in uh, and, and, and Jesus is conceived. And, and I mean, there's a, there's a sexual part of all of that that is kind of part of the story. Um, and, and then even when we accept Jesus, we, you know, he, he, we, we receive Jesus. He enters into us. Hmm, that could be kind of a sexuality uh, paradigm. But, but it, there's an undercurrent of that. I mean, even circumcision. I'm like, do we not understand the symbolism? And like, that's, I mean, you know, I've heard sermons preached about it's something who knows what they're talking about. You probably preached it. But, but it's <laughs> Careful. Like, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that, even that is a reminder to us men that, like, man, you, this part of your life is, is very important. Um, it's critical to kind of, like, that one thing, to get that one thing right in your life. Because if you don't, chaos reigns. And you, the stories are there for a reason. We see it. But that underlying undercurrent of sex and sexuality is there from beginning to end. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.